Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. Here today with some very exciting guests to talk about on-chain governance, among other topics. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tony Shang, a writer and advisor at Token Daily, as well as angel investor. Jacob, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Can you please uh, introduce yourself and and talk about what you're most excited about as it relates to on-chain governance right now. Hi, Jacob from Tezos. I've been working on a lot of research around, you know, blockchain governance and, you know, what will it take to, you know, make it, you know, adopt, you know, something that can be adopted at scale. Tezos is, uh, you know, a project that's essentially, you know, uses proof of stake, you know, as its uh, civil control mechanism in, in, you know, for consensus. The protocol recently launched on Monday, the, the main net launched on Monday. You know, we're looking forward to, to seeing what happens. Hi, I'm Peter from the Web3 Foundation, and the foundation is established to help bring Web3 to life, basically bring to life the the framework that will enable people to build and use this widely used decentralized applications. And one of the crucial protocols that we work on is Polkadot that enables many different blockchains to interact with each other. And big question that, that arose pretty recently is how do you, how do you make blockchains evolve? And especially in the context of Polkadot, how do you make a network of blockchains uh, evolve? Since blockchains are pretty good at letting us to specify rules of interaction, we feel that there can be, there can be part, also part of the protocol that empowers the participants in the network to make decisions about the future network of the network as well. We do some work in order to First of all, start discussions about governance in the community. So we organized the on-chain governance workshop a few weeks ago with a bunch of projects, including uh, Tezos. And uh, on an ongoing basis, we'll be doing research and specifying governance schemes that allow people to govern protocols and DAOs and other on-chain entities. Both Jacob and Peter, you mentioned um, on-chain governance or governance in general as a tool to help protocols evolve. Would you say that's the, the major focus for this area? Yeah, that, that's a that's a good. I think that's the the proper framing too. So uh, I, I guess a good way to think about on-chain governance is to think about you know sort of there's several sort of ways that you know types of on-chain governance that typically play out. So you have sort of the you know maybe the the DAO you know the DAO uh, you know type of on-chain governance that's more of like you know if you almost like think of it as like a layer two type of governance that's you know everything's enforced on chain but it, it's sort of more like an application uh, or something like that. Tezos and Polkadot, you know, the, the idea is more that the actual base layer has, uh, you know, ways to uh, make decisions about how it evolves, basically makes decisions about the software that it will, you know, run in the future. That itself also can get broken down into two types of approaches. Generally, there's sort of the approach of protocols like EOS or Definity, I would say, which is more of where, you know, you can maybe change balances uh, with on-chain governance, you can you know, have an arbitration board, you can freeze smart contracts, you can do all these sorts of things versus something that's more focused on uh, upgradability and changing the protocol software, which is more of the approach of something like Tezos. I think as, as those protocols evolve and handle more and more applications, we need to figure out a way for them to evolve. We have still a pretty limited understanding of, of uh, how to make those protocols useful for application builders. And Fixing in place the, the the rules according to which they function makes them much less uh, usable. So 
it's important, especially in this experimentation phase, to, to be able to, to make decisions and to follow where the community wants to go. And while there is also kind of maybe in addition to the ways of governance that, that uh, Jacob mentioned, there is also kind of way of basically hard for decision making. And this is maybe good at very early stages where the community is very small, but as the community grows and, and people actually start relying on the protocol, it becomes very, very hard to actually get all the users that are also leveraging the protocol to follow along any changes that are being made of the protocol. So having having a mechanism that is part of the protocol itself that lets the protocol evolve makes it possible to uh, let users delegate their decision-making power to parties that are actually uh, building and, and uh, pushing the protocol forward without them having to, at every juncture of the, or every decision, having to explicitly follow kind of the default path or the, the, the changed path. How does this work in Tezos and Polkadot? Could you contrast it with Bitcoin or Ethereum? And maybe you mentioned EOS earlier, mm -hmm. so one of the newer projects as well. So the, the, the idea is to basically have uh, have two main elements. So one element is some sort of decision making process that translates the views of the of the stakeholders or any any parties that are supposed to make a decision into a concrete proposal that is agreed upon. So this process might involve some sort of voting, a council to to filter through proposals and and a number of different different steps depending on the particular governance scheme. And then once a decision is is finally made and and agreed upon by the relevant stakeholders, then there is element of making the modification to the protocol. And in case of the on-chain governance uh, protocols, it's uh, usually there is ability to, because the protocol describes its own functioning, it's possible to kind of swap the logic of the, of the protocol on-chain. So this is usually done by by nodes uh, running a more general execution environment that's based on the activity on the network, so basically on the on the uh, results of the governance process, lets them swap out a piece of logic to uh, to the new piece of logic that will be running the the upgraded uh, protocol. And in case of in case of Polkadot, this is this is a generic WebAssembly uh, virtual machine that can support many different kinds of state machines or many different kinds of blockchain logic. And in case of Tezos, it's, it's slightly different, but somewhat similar to that. You know, how, how do you make this, you know, sort of operationalize all of this is that you need to design your blockchain to be modular from the start. Uh, and so the, the way that Tezos and uh, I, I understand probably Polkadot as well, you know, the way Pierre is explaining it, is that, you know, you have basically different modular components that you can vote to change without changing the rest of the protocol. So... This can also be done via hard fork, but it's much harder with something like a hard fork where you're, and, and this is why you see very few of them, you know, you'll basically have, you know, something like Ethereum uh, and even less, you know, less frequently uh, in a bit in Bitcoin forks are basically, you know, they, they, they sort of like pile in a lot of different upgrades into one fork. So, you know, the upcoming Constant Constantinople fork in Ethereum, you know, they're, they're piling in a, a huge number of changes, a lot of things that set them up for the, the future. Well, in Tezos, you can actually basically change one component, you know, uh, in, uh, you know, a few months or, or rather start testing, you know, in a few months, six months later, you can, you know, you can make another change uh, and none of this requires, you know, doing a hard fork. That doesn't mean that hard forks can't happen or won't happen in something like Tezos. Say there's a bug 
or something that requires a rapid fix, you know, it will operate, you know, pretty much the same way. But it's about when you have sort of more, con, you know, contentious topics, like, you know, what's the future direction of the, the protocol? You know, how, how do we want to improve scalability? Uh, how do we want to improve, you know, the ability to maybe shield the transactions? things like that, it allows you to do uh, those things in tandem or, or without having to do, you know, sort of bundle them all together in uh, specific uh, upgrades that then can become major attacks, uh, you know, surfaces for social attacks and uh, people having, you know, sort of complaints about, you know, one aspect of the hard fork, you know, it, it sort of undermines the larger goal of, of upgrading the protocol, you know, the, re- the rest of the protocol. So. Yeah, and the big issue, the, the 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 reason why 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 we have like the, those those changes have to be bundled is because it's just very uh, when you when you make a hard fork, you have to distribute a new piece of software that acts according to a new set of rules, and you need to make sure that everyone that is running the network, or at least as many people as you can get to run this new piece of software, you want them to start running it uh, in a given time frame. It's just much harder because because some users might have no clue that the protocol is being up- upgraded and might be running, uh, let's say, a, a wallet on their computer. And then they need to make an explicit decision on a lot of different topics that, that might be very hard for them to decide. While with those on-chain governance processes, if anyone is keen to participate in the decision-making process, they can at their own pace evaluate each of the proposals that is being made, then vote on them or participate in the, in the governance process. And when, when a proposal is actually accepted, it can be straight away implemented without too much overhead, as opposed to hard forks, which require a lot of planning and a lot of kind of ensuring that, that you don't make too many of them. That's why you need to bundle so many changes. Yeah, and introduce many other issues. Two metaphors come to mind. One is uh, like pull requests in a GitHub repository. You wouldn't want to put a ton of different features into one because it makes the code review a lot worse and it makes it slower to update your app. And the other is uh, like auto-updating apps in your uh, on your phone. It sounds like a distinction you guys are making is if you do a, a ton of upgrades through a fork, then your users like running nodes or whatever uh, may, may have to make a conscious decision to upgrade their software. Whereas if you're making changes through on-chain governance, you might just get like auto updates. Is that a, is that a fair way to think about this or? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a great metaphor. And actually it's really useful, you know, especially the auto upgrade point. Uh, and it's a great way to understand what, what the imperative is for this kind of mechanism. So, you know, say you have, you know, an application on your phone, say Spotify, you know, you have this trusted third party to a number of trusted third parties that are basically managing how you get, you know, this upgrade. So you get, you know, Spotify is pushing it out to you. You trust Spotify. They're sending you this, you know, this upgrade coming through the Google Play Store. They have, you know, just this, this distribution channel that, you know, you're not really worried about having any issues with. There's no contentiousness about that upgrade. Like maybe there's a feature you don't like, but you can just switch to Apple Music or you can switch to, you know, Google Play Music, whatever. And this is actually often the justification that's used to justify hard forks, uh, which is that basically pushing these upgrades, you know, from a centralized, you know, sort of official team that is that is doing it. And then the theory is, oh, you can just easily switch to to an alternative. But the problem with that is that we're trying to basically maintain uh, network effects uh, at scale. And so these are economic institutions that are not supposed to have, you know, the blockchains you know, are aspiring to be these economic global institutions that don't have any central authority or central nexus of control. And yet we're giving a lot of, you know, we're giving control over their entire future direction of what the software is to a small group of people 
who maybe they have, you know, ways of polling the community or, you know, of reaching out to key stakeholders like miners and whatnot to, you know, sort of get their input or at least demonstrate that they're looking, soliciting their input. But at the end of the day, the goal is to, you know, not have any central nexus of control for these protocols. And so decentralized, you know, on-chain governance, the, the goal is, you know, the objective is to have a way to upgrade the protocol seamlessly in a modular fashion uh, without resorting to uh, re-central, you know, re-centralizing the, the entity that is, you know, you know, not having to coordinate around an entity that provides those upgrades. I, I want to ask about pooling of power in, in protocols with on-chain governance in a second, sure. but Maybe could one of you walk us through like kind of step by step at a high level how an upgrade might occur with either on Tezos or Polkadot just mm-hmm. to make it more concrete? Yeah, sure. So, so basically first, first there's probably some, some idea that either a individual or a group has uh, probably based on some sort of uh, community idea for a change to a protocol and anyone can go ahead and try to implement the change. They can potentially ahead of time try to do some sort of polls or try to gauge if there is actually interest in, in such a feature before they start implementing. But then they, they, they have to go ahead and, and implement the potential change. They would basically change a part of the so-called runtime of the, of the Polkadot protocol. Uh, they can write it in any language. They have to compile their change to WebAssembly from whatever language uh, they wrote. They can run some formal verification on it or, or whatever other methods. Then they can, they can submit a proposal for a change alongside with some potentially with some description and the, the change itself to the governance process. Where is this governance process? Is it like uh, governance.polkadot.com or something or like how does? So there will be potentially multiple frontends to it. But it's essentially just another piece that can be also swapped out. But by uh, kind of there will be some initial governance process, which is you can think of it as one of the contracts on the on the Ethereum network, for instance, that manages the logic of of pro- processing the proposals and 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 actually manages the decision making process. As, a, as somebody who wants to submit a change, I would package up my proposal in some format that I can submit to some on chain like repository of proposals or something like that? Uh, yeah, so basically what what you would do like uh, most likely there would be there would be a UI that allows you to interact with that contract and there it would it would ask you to fill uh, some description it would ask you to put in the uh, the code of the change of the changed runtime and then basically if when you would submit it that would that would get stored on the on the relay chain so basically on the on the on the kind of root chain of the of the Polkadot network, where anyone else could see this uh, could see this proposal, and kind of anyone can submit this uh, proposal. And now from from there on, there is uh, there is the process, and the process kind of involves a number of steps. There is two main elements. So there is the uh, there are the uh, stakeholders uh, of the network, so people that are holding the the, the tokens. And then there is, they elect, uh, something called a, a council. So it's a subset of nodes that are tasks, uh, tasked with, or subset of accounts that are tasked with actually looking at the proposals and filtering through the proposals, deciding which proposals are controversial, which are, which are kind of fairly straightforward and which are straight up, uh, should be rejected because they are invalid for some reason. And then based on, based on the evaluation of this uh, stakeholder, uh, elected uh, council, the voting of the generals of all the stakeholders occurs in the case when when uh, proposals are 
controversial, then then a greater uh, number of votes is required. If the proposal is generally uncontroversial, then only a simple majority is required. And if it's rejected, then it's just rejected straight away. Basically, all those participants participate also potentially through some DAP, through some uh, UI that lets them in to in, uh, interact with the governance process uh, contract. And uh, when they issue the votes, uh, the issue get, uh, the votes get recorded on chain and potentially for anyone to see. There can be second layer protocols that allow people to follow other people, people's votes as well. And then once, once the vote concludes, of course, if it's rejected, then, uh, then it potentially back to the drawing board. We might think of some sort of multi proposals chains. Uh, if, if there is, so we, some parameters uh, have to be figured out of a particular proposal, but currently in a simplest scheme, it would just get rejected. And then in the case when, when it actually goes through, there would be an expectation, of course, that ahead of time, maybe before even voting, the proposal will be well tested so that uh, it's uh, everyone is sure that it's actually valid. And then once it gets accepted by the stakeholders, then then it gets basically the previous runtime that had a particular set of rules for the protocol gets modified to encompass the, 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 the changes that were proposed. And so, so some of the votes are by this elected council and some of them are, are directly from the stakeholders. Is that right? Indeed. So, so, so the proposals can come from both the general uh, public and then there can be a, a, enough signatures have to be gathered for this proposal to be considered or they can uh, come from the, from the council, which is uh, mostly tasked with basically making good proposals, pushing through good proposals. And, and then those proposals are voted on by the stakeholders. To determine whether they actually get implemented? Yes, indeed. But, uh, however, depending on the assessment of the, of the council, there is different rules for the, for the voting. So this is basically there is a number of different issues that, that we try to avoid when designing a governance scheme. So one is uh, low participation. So how do we make sure that views of the stakeholders are actually represented on every vote without them having to appear for every vote? Because we've seen in past examples where that people didn't vote. It's very hard to achieve some fixed quorum. Another thing is how do we prevent proposal spam? Another thing is how do we ensure that proposals that are clearly broken get rejected? So there is a number of different considerations. So you can have a look more in depth at the Polkadot, uh, the current specification of the governance protocol, but uh, it will most likely evolve, but it's uh, it's designed in order to avoid a lot of those pitfalls. What, have, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions of, of on-chain governance as commonly understood? Yeah, so, you know, this is something I, I've tried to uh, push back on quite a bit, actually, you know, both on, on Twitter and, uh, you know, in, in some of my writings. So so one of the most frustrating misconceptions is that, you know, you know, one sort of common framing of things is that, you know, that, you know, sort of there's start, you know, someone will start off talking about, uh, you know, what on-chain governance is, they'll maybe even quote the Tezos white paper. And then when they go to their examples, and then they start talking about, you know, what, what's wrong with on-chain governance, they go directly to EOS, like, or they, they don't really, you know, they don't separate out, you know, different, you know, ideas behind on-chain governance. Uh, and that's not speaking specifically to, you know, the pros and cons of EOS. My point is more that, you know, that there's been sort of this Mon Bailey, sort of this, this bait and switch approach towards criticizing on-chain governance. And that's not to say that there aren't real problems uh, in all, you know, that might afflict all on-chain governance. And that's something we, we can discuss. But there's definitely been a lack of, you know, there's sort of been a panning of all on-chain governance projects 
on the basis of sort of like several, you know, key projects that are, you know, commonly, uh, you know, talked about or, or criticized. And, uh, you know, one, one reason, you know, one key point there actually is that, you know, if you look at the distinction between something like EOS, where, you know, actually the, the, the decision makers are consensus participants, but the consensus participants have to be elected by token holders, whereas in something like Tezos, you know, and this is something I've written about quite a, you know, quite a bit about, uh, you know, we use what, you know, what's been sort of called a liquid proof of stake uh, consensus mechanism, uh, where essentially you don't, you don't elect the, the, you know, the consensus participants. You just, you know, you, you satisfy certain criteria uh, and then you are able to participate in consensus and then participate in, in on-chain governance. Uh, and, and, and the way on-chain governance works in Tezos is that, uh, you know, someone will, you know, propose, uh, you know, submit a proposal of, of code, you know, a node, you know, uh, will, will submit it. Uh, and then essentially, you know, if there's a core, you know, as, after a certain number of cycles, there's this voting, you know, you're, you're allowed to have, you know, sort of this kind of election, an approval vote happens if there's a 60% quorum, uh, and the quorum can dynamically adjust, uh, you know, based on average participation, you know, after this approval vote, the proposal that, you know, is selected moves to a testnet. And, and what happens is essentially the node runs, uh, you know, the baker will run both the testnet and the main uh, chain, the existing chain. And then after a certain amount of test, you know, designated testing period, then they, they can, you know, the bakers can vote and the bakers are the, the validators in Tezos proof of stake, by the way, they can vote to, you know, there's a, a 60% uh, majority needed, and they can switch to the new code after after that period. Uh, and, and, and essentially, and, and also the, the, the protocol, you know, the proposal, the person who proposes this code change, they uh, actually can attach an invoice to the protocol, you know, in, to the proposal uh, and actually uh, be paid out uh, in XTZ, you know, our, our token for the, the uh, you know, the, the successful uh, upgrade. And, that this, this, and there's all sorts of ways that this incentive payout could be structured, but it goes to this larger idea that, you know, there shouldn't necessarily be any romance around any particular, you know, open source uh, consensus technology, privacy preserving technology at all. The idea is that at the end of the day, the, the part of these protocols that's special is their ability to coordinate users and, and keep them together, you know, in a network. And essentially, you know, whether it's Tendermint or Algorand or whatever consensus mechanism, you know, you know, algorithm we want, you know, we want civil control mechanisms we, we want to use. There's like, you know, this, these, these could be uh, proposed via this system and you could get paid out for, you know, implementing it uh, on, on the network. Those are some also differences where Polkadot differs from Tezos. So, so the, in, in our case, the, the consensus, uh, so the validators are uh, decoupled from the from the governance process. So validators are more like utility providers uh, to the network, which are just getting uh, paid for their validation, and they don't necessarily have anything more to say than anyone else on the on the network. So the the, the kind of the governance process is strictly delegated to the, to stakeholders, and then also the uh, the payouts of fa- or funding is also separately managed so the protocol changes is a one thing and and funding different proposals those can be proposals uh, for building core technology those can be proposals for building tooling uh, documentation education all kinds of funding proposals go through a set separate uh, mechanism uh, where where funding proposals can be voted on as well and, and, and to be clear, we this is how Tezos works, you know, currently. One of the coolest things about the way these systems are designed uh, is that, you know, at least in our in our case, it's not only that we can come to consensus about, you know, changes to the protocol, we can also come, you know, have the, you know, the ability to come to consensus uh, about changes to the decision-making process. So basically, we can add a number of different, uh, you know, 
alternative mechanisms or even change the way governance works in Tezos. So uh, we can, you know, we can change it from from being tightly bound to bakers, to validators and in proof of stake to something where it is controlled entirely by just token, you know, token holders directly rather than, you know, being mediated through bakers. And then we can also add uh, things like prediction, you know, futar- what's called futarchy, which is where you use a prediction market to help you make uh, decisions about proposals, perhaps. Then you can we can also add something like constitutionalism. Uh, Arthur, uh, you know, one of the founders of Tezos, he recently, you know, sort of said in a video that, you know, he's looking at a really interesting idea for basically wrapping the whole protocol in another uh, layer and allowing it to uh, basically prevent protocol changes, like basically specifying what parts of the protocol, the protocol changes, you know, protocol amendments can can change, uh, which means that you can have a form of almost constitutionalism where you can actually prevent amendments from even directly touching balances. Uh, at least as defined by in this layer. Uh, there's obviously ways around this that have been explored, but you dramatically reduce the types, of, you know, certain types of uh, potential bad behavior. When I hear about the like the designs of on-chain governance systems and the parameters selected for them, they all seem pretty reasonable, but they all, none of them are like obviously the very correct way to do it, which is, I mean, I, I think it's great evidence for, you know, a designing system that can continue to refine itself, as, as you just mentioned, Jacob. But like, what, what are, is there consensus in the community on like, what, what the right things are to optimize for? Like, what, what is the, what, what is the, the perfectly designed system output for a protocol and its stakeholders? Like, can you shed some light on like, how, what goals you're optimizing for and, and the resulting designs of these systems? I, as you say, like none of the protocols kind of are designed from first principles to optimize for certain properties. And there is a lot of complexity in how those protocols will work in the wild. So, so it will most likely require a bunch of experimentation to figure out which approaches work and which don't. So I think it's very useful to learn lessons from things like uh, the DAO or, or, or any other exercises where, where some, some governance was had in a, in a decentralized system. But in terms of general goals, there is, there is a few different ones. Of course, of course, there is, there has to be ability for the, first of all, the, the, the relevant parties have to be represented. So the decisions have to flow from the, from the set of parties that we want to participate in the governance process. So a lot of protocols simplify it and just say the token holders are the decision makers, but there could be potentially uh, other ways to structure it and give power to, to, to other uh, parties. So basically making sure that, that, the, that the governance scheme reflects the views of the parties that the power should flow from. Then the other thing is the ability to actually make decisions. So ability to have reasonable requirements for making decisions so that when there is actually a good decision to be made, uh, it's actually been made and implemented. So, so that it doesn't completely, we don't fall back to, to kind of making hard forks in order to make any change. On the other hand, lack of ability to implement harmful changes. So, so some sort of safety of the, of the governance process to not, not uh, accept incorrect proposals or malicious proposals. And then one uh, very additional important characteristic is trying to preserve the coherency of the network. So making sure that the proposals that are being passed optimize for as many as many participants remaining as part of the network rather than wanting to to split off and 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 create a new network and this requires potentially uh different different mechanisms to kind of try to figure out what, what which proposal is the one that will uh, that will decrease likelihood of that and potentially even introduce 
penalties for for people trying to to split off as as is being explored. So so preserving this coherency and this can be a, an analogy can be made to nation states. So when when you make decisions uh, in a country. You will try to make the decision-making process so that it represents the people, so let's say democracy, so that you can actually implement new laws, that dangerous laws are not being passed, and that you don't have too many coups or, or, or uprisings that, that uh, result in some sort of uh, war that, that splits the country into. You rather try to preserve the coherency of the, of the country and make sure that all the parts kind of stay together. So I think there are very similar considerations. Yeah, that, that, that's right on, actually. Um, and, 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 you know, you sort of have, you know, and in talking about stability, it's sort of like, you know, that's definitely a, a goal of these systems. But I, I really I do agree uh, with, with another point that Peter made, which is that it's really a large part of it is actually about weeding out bad ideas uh, and, or, or trying to prevent, basically prevent protocols from getting into a suboptimal you know, sort of uh, potent, you know, glide path. Basically, you're trying to maintain uh, network effects as the protocol scales and it becomes more widely adopted while also maintaining decentralization. And so the the, the big, uh, you know, the key there is uh, making sure that, so, so basically you don't have to worry as much about, you know, malfeasance in the sense of existing institutions in the sense that you know, there's there's very little friction between protocols. So if I want to build on Bitcoin, it's very easy to that, you know, and, and, and Bitcoin doesn't scale, I can easily move to Ethereum. Uh, you know, if I move to Ethereum, and then, you know, it, Ethereum has trouble scaling, I can easily move to another protocol that has, you know, better scalability or has, you know, l less risk of, of other, you know, other issues that, you know, that might arise. So the idea is, I, I think, also, it's like, it's a key point to make that, you know, it's very hard to design. It's it's probably almost impossible to prop, you know, perfectly design these kinds of systems from scratch. So there's a great line, you know, in the Federalist Papers. You know, if you go, you know, in this from the 1700s, where they basically make the point that it's not really obvious whether or not governing institutions can be designed very well from, you know, at all. Like it's maybe, you know, it's it's more about you know, whether, you know, because at the end of the day, like maybe the benefits of, of a certain governing institution happen by accident or by, you know, or by force, I think is the line. And the idea is that in these systems, you're trying to create something that based on all the crazy arbitrary things that can happen in the world and in the future uh, is resilient and, and, you know, becomes, uh, you know, continues to maintain positive network effects, you know, that as you add an additional user, the platform continues to become more valuable to other users. Uh, and in something like Bitcoin or, or other protocols where, you know, the, when they can't scale, you know, you get this situation where, you know, you add an additional user and then it actually makes the protocol less, you know, someone trying to transact on the network, for example, and you end up, you know, in, as a at least for, as a medium of exchange, it becomes, you know, less valuable. I think that, that this is very applicable to governance uh, where you, you basically have this challenge that as you and and also like as you add decision makers to governance, you know, you also get some negative network effects. So you need to find the right balance, right, between, you know, the number of decision makers and, you know, execution uh, speed. So, you know, or, or quality, because, you know, as you add decision makers, you get noise and conflict, conflicting preferences and, and that sort of thing. But the great thing is there's going to be, you know, there, there's really exciting interoperability solutions on the way. I think there's going to be a lot of self-selection, you know, among developers, among users, et cetera to, you know, of these applications uh, to use the platforms that best align with either their values or their, you know, their needs as a user. And that, that, that's very much what inspires Polkadot as well. Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah indeed. And, and uh, hopefully, hopefully with, 
also yeah allowing allowing many different chains to participate in the in the network and allowing them not only to evolve the 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 protocol kind of for any particular chain but also having like a meta protocol for for this uh, evolving chain network of chains what would you say are some of the like major limitations either unsolved problems or unavailable technologies or concepts for on-chain governance as an example maybe like your coin voting is kind of the standard right now and part of that is because it's really hard to identify individual people so you end up having systems where people with a lot of coins like a higher proportion of the coins in a protocol have more power depending on how you design the structure Mm -hmm. are are there how important is that are there other things like that that are missing that you think are just going to be constraints of of this design space or are coming up or like yeah talk, talk a little bit about that yeah, I, I think there's a big trade. Actually, that's actually one of the, the core trade-offs that there, there needs to be more discussion around. So in existing protocols, you know, you actually have a lot of visibility, at least, you know, something like Ethereum, there's a lot of visibility on who is, you know, sort of like, you know, making the changes, who's, de- you know, developing, you know, basically, there's an official roadmap. Uh, and there's sort of this group of, you know, there's groups of people who have a lot of influence on that roadmap. Uh, and that sort of thing, and they're able to be public, and their identity is known, and and that sort of thing, and and that that's great for maybe that that approach. But I we think that that you know at least in Tezos, like there's sort of this this other side of the trade-off set where basically you want to have a system that basically doesn't have to ha- require identity for decisions because I think ultimately like the vast majority of of people don't you know want to be identified in their role as you know in in, in influencing the direction of the network. Uh, and identity is in, in, in many respects uh, a privilege of, of certain people. You know, essentially, there's still not a very, this is something that's very unresolved, right? You know, is that there's there's no really good uh, decentralized identity solution uh, or way of doing it at scale. And and because you don't have that, uh, in sort of like, even if you did, you know, these are you know supposed to be censorship resistant platforms, they're supposed to be decentralized. You don't really want to open up that much of a, you know, especially when you have a more, you know, binding decision. Uh, around, you know, the, the on-chain governance uh, system, you know, you don't, you basically, you, you know, by having coin voting, you kind of do circumvent some of the limitations of, of, of an identity, small groups, you know, in-group system where, you know, you can, you know, if, if you're in, uh, you know, disadvantage, you know, someone from a disadvantaged group uh, or something like that, it's, it's much easier to, to participate because your name is, you know, or who you are is not, you know, attached to to the decision that, that you make necessarily. Right now, voting is actually, you know, public, and it will be public in Tezos, but like, you know, long-term, you know, want to move towards things like receipt-free voting, you know, things that, that you know, maybe obscure uh, or, or diminish the role of identity in making decisions because that, that's that's one of the most exciting things about this technology is that it uh, removes the, you know, the need for identity maybe in, in making some of these kinds of decisions. But certainly b- b- besides uh, besides just uh, identity, there may be other types of nodes that it may be good to give them some sort of uh, voting power. And mm-hmm. there might be some uh, parties that, for instance, submit successful proposals or they, they are, uh, they do a good job at maintaining the network. There is, there is indeed a lot of thinking that could be done in, uh, about how do we, how do we include those other parties in the overall governance process? Of course, for protocols that explicitly say, 
the parties in power are the token holders. For those protocols, obviously, the, like token holders have to be in power. Just generally, for the in the in the future of those protocols, we might we might want to allocate power to to to, to a bunch of other kinds of parties, not necessarily identities, but, mm-hmm. uh, but other kinds of parties. And then another thing that Jacob mentioned is kind of uh, yeah, both receipts or vote accountability. In some ways, it's it's very easy currently using using existing systems to to prove uh, which way uh, a party voted so they can easily prove to others that they voted a particular way which makes it uh, very easy to construct bribing attacks or basically mm-hmm. allow any party that has that has uh, some uh, capital that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the protocol to decide to bribe the, the participants in the, in the governance process of some protocol that the kind of the theory is not really in favor however however We've seen from some some past examples that actually there is a lot of a lot of friction to get people to be bribed, and mm-hmm. and actually the economic incentives is the only not on the only thing that drives their behavior. Uh, so potentially it's not a big problem, but certainly having uh, voting schemes where you cannot prove how you voted would remove that uh, risk of, of of bribing. Yeah, exactly. What's on your sort of a request for? For products in, in terms of on-chain governance, in terms of like all, all the builders out there, or, or where, where do you want people to experiment or, or innovate? I think just experiment. So I think I think uh, kind of on a higher level, like making in terms of products, like definitely making making uh, participation in the on-chain governance process easier and making kind of making it easy to understand what's going on and what proposals are available. Mm-hmm. Making it easy to to see for people how they were evaluated and what were the results of evaluation. What is the kind of the universe of decisions that could be made? This is all very important. How how the network can also arrive at some conclusion if there is a big parameter space for a particular change. How how they can uh, kind of arrive uh, at some conclusion. This is all very uh, very important. And in terms of experimenting with actual governance, like. It would be great to see different on-chain protocols also to be governed. So kind of the second layer governance or, and all sorts of parameterizations are really interesting. Uh, I think just definitely going beyond the simple coin vote is important because we had some experimentation with that already. And we know that there is a bunch of problems with that, but even introducing some simple measures for, for, for instance, determining what should be the uh, vote voting period. How to deal with uh, low turnout and and things like that. So just just having having protocols that even test a single thing to to push it forward and see how it works would be great. Yeah. So 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 we have a number of you know there's a number of things that you know I think the Tesla community really wants to see. So uh, one really good one would be some kind of civil resistance stake based, uh, but also stake based discussion forum. Uh, in ways to sort of discuss, uh, you know, so so one thing that, you know, a lot of people in the community have been really excited about is maybe using something like Kialo and maybe sort of like, you know, trying to make it more fit, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's basically a discussion site that allows you to pick apart arguments, um, you know, behind a, a certain position. It's basically, really so cool. Yeah, it really, it really. check it out. Yeah, that so that's one thing, you know, and, and also I think one really important thing is we we, we really really need more. We, we need a way. You need other ways other than sort of the standard block explorers to monitor trends and you know happenings on the network. You know, do, to do data analytics on you know sort of some key. You know, what's what's going on. To, we we need to figure out ways to 
create coordination around an objective truth around what's going on in the, these network, you know, within the network. So I think that that's really important. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, in order to make good decisions. And then another, the, the, the most exciting thing, the single, th- the thing that's probably, you know, the reason why Tezos is very exciting to me is that, you know, I, I can't wait to see, you know, when, pe- when people realize that they don't have to just go create another token, that they can actually, you know, top researchers, top developers, that they can go, you know, come to on-chain governance protocols, they can, you know, you know, create a, sh- you know, their own dev shop, they can pr- come up with some amazing new consensus, you know, algorithm and propose it to to Tezos and, and implement it. There's work underway, you know, to integrate the sapling circuit uh, when that's ready into Tezos, you know, from Zcash for privacy preserving transactions. Uh, there's also work being done at Cornell now, you know, around charting and, you know, next gen, uh, you know, sort of uh, consensus algorithms and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and the hope is that th- this will, you know, be, you know, be proposed to be a you know, launching governance system that they'll be paid out via um you know, on-chain uh, uh, invoicing. And the really cool thing about that is that it becomes a really powerful, you know, surface for competition among groups that, you know, that have really awesome ideas. So what ends up happening is it puts the the power uh, in the hands of uh, users and allows them, you know, to sort of decide on future upgrades. It puts them in the driver's seat of, of selecting, you know, the next grade to the protocol. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover? I think on-chain governance is not does not have to be something that is inherently very risky. I think it's just there is a huge parameter space uh, to, to explore what should be a threshold for making a change or what types of changes should be allowed. And, you know, protocols like Ethereum already implemented some types of voting. So, for instance, the gas limit is basically voted on by the by the miners. And, and it already improved one significant issue that is there in, in Bitcoin where, where you have this uh, huge discussion about the about about the block size and so even and, and then now people in Ethereum community say um, maybe we shouldn't even explore any any additional ability for users or protocol participants to, to make changes to the protocol while there have been some already introduced. So I just think that it's a it's a kind of false dichotomy between like lack of on-chain governance and non-chain governance. I think mm-hmm. we, we just need to explore a bit more this uh, direction and 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 see what uh, what comes out of it. Yeah, no, no, I actually love to follow up on that point, actually. So th- this is something that I, th- I think a lot in the, the Ethereum community in general, I think that for, for some reason, there's been a really big you know, sort of coalescing around the idea that like on-chain governance is like immoral or somehow like really, really like this, this terrible thing. And, and in, in, in a lot of ways, it really harkens back to the attitude that a lot of Bitcoiners had, you know, about Ethereum in general, you know, way back. So, you know, honestly, like the only way to really uh, demonstrate the value uh, of this experiment is to actually run it, see how it does, and and then let the market decide, you know, what are the protocols that developers and users want to use. And, and you know, we think that the set of trade-offs, you know, at Tezos, and I, I think Polkadot feels similar, it's like these are the set of trade-offs that we think are needed to scale this technology to, you know, the wider audience, you know, it, without undermining decentralization. Like that's the key point, you know, is that you know you're trying to basically accomplish uh, you know we're trying to scale this thing to the whole world, not to a few thousand DAP users. We're trying to scale this you know technologies to you know billions of people. Like the, in order to do that, we need to create ways to avoid forking where it you know doesn't provide any value in the first place. Uh, or where, you know, and, and that's not to say forking has a, a really big role, but but I, I think there's a lot of, there's there's been a, for, for a group of people who are very, really incredibly good at mechanism design and, and thinking about, you know, crypto economics and that sort of thing, there's been a very strange 
um, you know, sort of like willful ignorance around, you know, that this is a trade-off space, that there are people doing this in good faith, that, you know, trying to, to, to build, uh, you know, really systems that can scale, you know, to, to a much larger uh, number of users. And one, one, one point to touch on, and especially it's important in, in context of Polkadot is, is that when we, when we make those changes and we make hard forks and potentially multiply the number of, of, of networks that are out there with each additional chains, each one of them is slightly less secure. So some of the miners, let's say, migrate from Ethereum to Ethereum Classic or, or to any other new chain that is, that is upcoming. Then the same with, with the amount of stake in proof of stake protocols. There will be a limited amount of, uh, securing capital for for those networks so if we don't ensure that those protocols can evolve to stay to kind of and create a coherent network like like with polkadot they will all become much much less secure so the 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 crucial idea in polkadot is pulling security across multiple blockchains so as we come up with new great ideas for blockchains and we can we can connect them all together allow them to message with each other and co-secure then the network if if the network would be static then then especially like even a single chain would oftentimes split and especially a network of chains. So it's absolutely core to the, to the protocol to be able to evolve together with the, with the network in order to be able to maintain this security level for the whole community. Yeah, that's right. On. And, and also I'd argue also that in an, that the, in an inter, like the on-chain governance or at least good governance, let's, let's start there, you know, that it has value. The, the, the great thing about it is that it has value both in a non-interoperable world where maybe you have lots of fragmentation and that sort of thing and you have one you know several protocols that have you know really good governance in terms of you know they're able to adopt upgrades be immutable you know very immutable that sort of thing uh, but it also has great value in an interoperable world right so it allows you to maybe you know in something like polkadot it's like this idea that maybe there should be maybe more uh, mission specific blockchains you know at, at some level but there's also the idea that even with existing protocols that sort of in a lot of ways, like if you have a really well-governed protocol, then, you know, ca- if capital can move, you know, and, to- and users and, 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 and developers can move very quickly across blockchains, then they're going to move to the, they're going over the long periods of time, they're going to move to the ones that are the best governed. And this is true both in, our, in an interoperable world as well as in, an, in, an, in a world where that's, that's like hyper-fragmented. I know we said we were going to end, but I have one more question. And maybe we can close on this. Uh, guys, can you sort of, people often focus on this dystopic, um, or on, on <laughs> you just said people saying it's, it's evil. Can you describe sort of what the on-chain governance utopia looks like? Like what's the, what's the real promise potential, like paint a picture for us? What, what really, you know, this could be or what this yeah. is for? I would argue that what that looks like is most people don't ever even have to think about on-chain governance, but that it's still accountable, to, highly, highly accountable to users and doesn't, you know, cause malfeasance, uh, you know, on these networks. So the idea being, if you, if I'm using it, I just don't think that most, you know, humans in the world will ever even think about on-chain governance or governance of blockchain protocols at all if we do this, if we do this right. But they also won't have to worry about, you know, developers and people who are more engaged. They also won't have to worry about, you know, on-chain governance or or blockchain governance going awry or oppressing them or taking away their, you know, their their, their rights somehow on this this open network. But I think that's really the the that would be the optimal balance where you can maintain network effect at scale as you adopt as you grow to many many users and also where you can uh, basically allow the vast majority of users never to have to think about this at all. Yeah, indeed, and and where people that want to make a decision to a protocol that about the protocol that doesn't affect anyone else 
can make this decision. And basically there is, there is a, uh, there is appropriate layers of abstraction where some decisions are being made globally and, and require a certain agreement from, from a large group of parties. Some agreements are being made more locally. We have basically all the, all the groups that having the right balance of the right feature, features of the underlying protocol and the right network that, that this protocol covers so that they can conduct their business. This will always be a trade-off. Right now we are all more in the, in the kind of the global decision making space. But well, as with any of those globally evolving protocols, I think they can evolve in many different directions. And hopefully we get to a governance where that is, that is as pragmatic as possible for, for all the different use cases on the blockchain. Well, guys, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. Where can people learn more about you, uh, Jacob Peter online? And- yeah, uh, highly recommend checking out Tezos.com, uh, and as well as, you know, checking out, um, there's been a lot of, you know, Arthur, uh, you know, Brightman, founder of Tezos, one of the founders of Tezos, he put out a really incredible piece uh, recently about how to do futarchy, uh, you know, on, on the blockchain, basically, use, you know, integrate prediction markets for uh, weeding out, uh, basically selecting upgrades uh, to be voted on, uh, among, among other interesting uh, pieces that, uh, you know, have sort of come out by people working on Tezos. For uh, for us, it's uh, uh, if you want to have a look at the uh, Web3 Foundation, it's uh, web3.foundation. We are also uh, hiring researchers and for other roles that you can find there. And there, then uh, for the Polkadot project itself, it's polkadot.network. And uh, there you can f- find more details and also blog posts uh, and, and all sorts of other things. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's a great episode. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 